Welcome to the Marvel Events Timeline, the podcast that takes you on a journey through Timely, Atlas, and Marvel Comics, one event at a time. Here are your hosts, Travis Bowe and Brian Lockhart. Welcome back, everybody, to the Marvel Events Timeline podcast, where we journey through the sacred timeline one event at a time. I'm Brian Lockhart. I'm Travis Bowe. Travis and I are back to stand against all enemies of liberty once again. <laughs> that's our that's our sworn duty. Exactly. You know, somebody's got to do it. That's right. <laughs> Might as well be us. Yeah. Aren't you lucky, folks? Yeah, exactly. It's not the hero that they deserve, but it's the <laughs> hero they need. We that's are. Right. That's us. You know. Um. Yeah. We're we're here uh, to discuss Captain America comics number one. I, we've we, we've made no secret about it so far in any, in our you know few conversations that we had as we're early into the events of Marvel uh, timely and I guess um, Atlas <laughs> comics <laughs> that that we you know, we are both fans of Captain America and I, I guess you know last issue we were you know issue <laughs> listen to me like <laughs> I'm talking about a kind of like comic book but uh you know we were talking about the creators of Captain America Joe Simon and Jack Kirby the, yeah. the, the the duel of Simon and Kirby so you know we had a i think a nice conversation about uh the background of these men and today we're going to you know i guess we'll jump right back into it and discuss uh, a little bit more you know research that we had a little bit more details of the actual creation and and behind the scenes before we actually get into the issue itself we knew that we were going to both reach the, the the same time point, you know, the same point in the timeline where Jack and Joe, you know, after they met, but then they're working together and then they start to develop uh, Captain America. So rather than have all that information in the previous episode, yeah, we'll take care of it up top here and then and talk about the issue itself. Before the issue, you know, Simon and Kirby were, were collaborating together on various works. Now, uh, I believe we talked about Kirby was still at Fox, but he was doing yep. freelance with Joe, and, and Joe was actually fired, <laughs> uh, for, you know, or let go uh, from Fox because he was basically violated his contract. And and he's they were just doing their fr- freelance together. And, and one of the things that they were doing is when they weren't busy, they would go ahead and, and just come up with ideas and put them on a shelf, literally just Mm. set them on it. I mean, a physical shelf. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, they were always thinking, always working. So I, you know, from Simon's perspective, uh, he said he noticed that the best books had, had the coolest villains. The ones Mm. that were doing well had really good villains. So he's like, let's, you know, this is all from his, his perspective. Let's start with a villain first. Right. Yeah. Well, it's 1940. It's late 1940. You know, this, this, (laughs) The you know Captain America comics comes out in in uh, 1941. So who's the biggest villain in the world at that time? Right. <laughs> you know that's it's obvious. It's it's Adolf Hitler. I mean, even before they knew all the horrors that he was, you know, they'll discover a few years later, he was already a bad dude and already bad stuff was going on. And you know, right, these, yeah. He even states he's like, we read the news, we saw what was going on, we were mad as hell. You know, we we, yeah. we didn't like it. Uh, and, and I, you know, I at least, you know, I don't know Kirby's feeling on this, but Simon was a, a patriot. Uh, mm. He makes no bones about it, you know, in his, in his book. So, all right, well, we got a, we got Hitler, the biggest bad guy in the <laughs> world. Well, what, what would be a good hero to pit against him? Well, a patriotic hero, you know? Yeah. And, and 
a guy, literally a man dra- draped in the flag. So Simon said he did a sketch with a, a hero wearing chain, a chainmail tunic, wings like Mercury on his helmet, and uh, a ma- you know a mask basically with a mask, yeah. and uh, like a shield like an old knight. And he said, and I, I didn't, I don't think he really got into this, but he had a love for King Arthur, like he liked mm. those stories. So there you go. He said, you know, like Blue Bolt got his powers from a shot. Um, so did Steve. Well, so did Captain America. Okay. And, and it basically said that, like, hey, it's a good idea. You got to use it at least three or four more times, which I think he did. You know, like, right. it's kind of like radiation was Stan Lee's go to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, these, these were mad scientists or just scientists working on, you know, giving shots yeah. to people. <laughs> I will not make any current event comment, uh, comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Although, if it could turn me into Captain America, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> anyway, so what what does Kirby have to say about at least his early thoughts on on the um, uh, on the creation of Cap? I mean, I got I got some more, but we'll, we'll, I'm curious of what Kirby's like. Well, I don't I don't have a lot um, okay. on on Jack's side, other than to say that the Simon version is that he comes up with most of it and then brings it to Jack after most of the details are there. But in Jack's version, he's involved from the start. So, wish I had like more sources on that or more in depth, you know, what he means by that, you know. But according to Jack, like he was right there with with Joe from the start, coming up with the the ideas. So, well, I I definitely think there's something to that. I think I think I think this it's a case of you're the hero of your own story. Hmm. So of course you're going to kind of embellish your more importance on on either side. I yeah. think they both did. I mean, I think there's enough evidence from what I read to show that there's there's enough credit to Kirby as well. But but Simon kind of you know claims the credit, which you know I have no reason to 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 disbelieve either yeah. one of these men. And and it could be like you know, if they're both working physically in the same working around each other in the same space, like who's to say that that. Joe isn't working on this this sketch of a of a patriotic hero and Jack walks by and says, "Oh, you should give him a shield, you know, shaped like a, you know, like the shield he has on on the front cover." And maybe then years and years later in Jack's mind like, "Oh yeah, I was right there from the start, you know, developing this character." I mean, it could be something as simple as that of like an offhand an offhand kind of comment or critique or advice is to one guy is yeah, I was I was involved from the start, but then to the other is yeah, I I did it you know for the most part and then brought it to to the other. So it could be well, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and I you know note, notice that I mean I said draped in a flag, but Simon mm. didn't say that. Simon said sure chainmail tunic, Mercury uh, helmet, <laughs> you know wings like Mercury yeah. and a shield. Nowhere in there was Captain America to say he's in a flag and pirate boots. You know like none yeah. of that. So that was a general sketch that he had. And, mm. and so he claims, you know, he, he came up with a general idea now. And was he tied was he calling him super American at that point? Cause I know, I know that's a, at one point was the name. I didn't, that, that never came up in the least Simon's um, retelling of the tale. Okay. Uh, now I'll, I'll save this, but he does talk about the creation of a, one of the villains, interior villains, but um, for for the fair. But as far as as far as the creation, he pretty much said um, he went back. You know, he, he he came up with this idea, went back to Kirby, 
and and told them about it and they were on board and they got to work together on it so that's kind of where i like think like well maybe yeah. he had a broad sense of like hey let's make hitler the villain let's make a patriotic hero and i got some ideas this is my initial idea what do you got you know like right you know, let, let's let's because everything they do is a collaboration right so you know yeah so I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe that's where he was in it from the beginning you know what i mean like it's like yeah here's initial idea i had while watching the news let's let's get to work and so so basically they did they got to work on captain america yeah <laughs> like and they basically did captain america number one long before ever giving it to timely it was it went on the shelf it was okay it was mostly completed is what was what he said and and as he said he said they were both on board. They they did pretty much the whole issue right then and there, and they put it on the shelf. And Simon states he unleashed Kirby. He's like, just do your thing, because <laughs> Kirby did all the you know the penciling. Joe did the writing. Yeah. Although, again, I'm sure Kirby had some input because they I think they collaborated on plot together. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, now I'm the writer and you're the penciler. You know? Yeah. Well, I think they. I guess after they develop this Captain America number one, they go on to to freelance a little bit, do a little moonlighting for Fawcett Comics, and they work on Captain Marvel together. Yeah. Saw that. Um, yeah, they did some covers, I think, and yeah, a few other well, things. I th- yeah, I, I think some issues. Um, I, I think over there they were swapping, you know, back and forth a little bit with like the the drawing and writing because Jack definitely would do his, you know share of writing but yeah, i think as far as captain america goes i think it was more simon on on writing and and jack on the art yeah uh so so you know i mean this is the time the way simon tells it he had this idea they put it on the shelf then he gets arthur goodman brother of martin goodman who he's now friends with tells martin goodman hey simon is available if you need him you know yeah and and he brings him on as it's basically freelance work, but he yeah. brings him on to you know at a higher page rate to um, produce stuff for him. So they did a couple things right off the bat. However, you know they said, hey Simon and Kirby, they said you know they they talked about it. They said we should show Goodman Captain America, the Cap idea. But he said they didn't let him know that they basically already had it finished. They just showed him like that initial sketch and were like, <laughs> hey, this is what we got. You know, it was like, yeah. like a quick rough sketch. And he said, and he said, yeah. Uh, basically it sounded like Goodman knew he had something, something like special here. Yeah. There's a couple, couple reasons why I said that. Like they got paid the regular page rate, of course, but they also were, were given 25% of the profits for, for the character. So, right. and Simon says he kept 15 and Kirby got 10% and that's how they decided to split it. Mm. Uh, and he said Goodman liked Cap so much that he gave, he launched him in his own title, Captain America Comics number yeah. one. Yeah, and they said that was unheard of. Usually it was, you know, Marvel Comics or, you know, Mystery Marvel Comics or, you know, any number of these kind of weird names that they came up with back then. It's a bold move. I I guess some credit probably has to go to to Martin Goodman for, uh, you know, releasing this this issue uh, under its own comic, you know. He could have easily put this in, you know, a daring Mystery Comics or, or whatever, um, but I think like you, you throw that, that, that image of the cover, you know, cap punching, uh, Hitler, you put that out of the newsstands and that's, you know, I, I have to imagine at the, at the time, it's a little bit controversial, you know, cause I kind of looked into, 
around this time, like this is not the first American super patriotic type hero that's that's being put out. I mentioned him last episode, uh, Pep Comics, under the banner of Harvey Comics, which again later becomes Archie Comics. Uh, they come up with uh, the Shield in January of 1940. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, you yeah. know, and, and so this book doesn't. It. I think. It, I think Captain America Comics number one hits the shelf or hits the newsstands in December of 1940. Like December 20th. Yeah. December 22nd, okay. 1940, with a cover date of, of March. Yeah. 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 March. March. Uh, 1941. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so you got the shield um, almost a year, you know, prior. But if you look at that cover, like he's not punching, you know, Hitler on the cover. You know, I'm sure he, I'm sure it sold. You know, and there were uh, there was another character called Captain Battle. Um, there was one called Minuteman. You know, all patriotic themed. But this is the one that I think it, it just from the from the it's it's one of my favorite covers of all time. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, just the, I mean, they, it's so iconic, they used it in the Captain America, uh, the first yeah. Avenger, and they reenacted it on that stage play. Like, that's <laughs> my favorite a, bit a of great, that movie. Like, yeah. I love that. It's, yeah. they made him, they made it happen. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, it's, it's great. Um, and then they even make a joke about it later. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there's definitely something striking, no pun intended, of Captain America striking Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely going to draw some attention. I can see why you would think it's controversial, though. I mean, I don't, I, I didn't do enough research or anything. I mean, I think at this point most people knew war was probably inevitable, but there were yeah. plenty of oh, people yeah. that wanted to stay out of that war. You know, sure, there were, they, they just it was a Europe's problem. It was not our problem. Stay the heck out of it. Right. Um, and then there were other people that were like, no, we, we need to get involved. And there's no way we're not going to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, like I, like for a long time, it's people, people, when I say industries, the film industry, automobile industry, you know, just industry, they, Germany was like the biggest marketplace outside yeah. of the U S they made changes to their films to suit German audiences, <laughs> you know, like mm. The same way that the stuff happens today in this in the real world with other countries where we have special edits for certain countries, um, they were doing that back then too. So then here comes a magazine that's like punching a uh, the head of a uh, of a state yeah. of one of the largest economies who's also taking over half the you know of Europe at that point. Um, you have to imagine it was fairly controversial, but. I really don't know Martin Goodman's political stance or feelings on getting involved with the war. He may, he may, I mean, it's clear Simon and Kirby, at least from Simon's perspective, that they said they were mad as hell of what was going on over there. I could totally, maybe Martin was too. That's all I was going to say. I I suspect that he was because you got to remember like they're around the same time, certainly before U.S. enters the war, they're putting out Namor comics where he's fighting, you know, Nazi uh, subs and now not a lot, but at least I think two instances of, of him just taking the fight to Germany and, and taking out German uh, vessels that are coming across, you know, the Atlantic. So, and, and some of that I think is coming from maybe Bill Everett's, like maybe he's trying to get his, you know, his feelings, you know, into the, the comics and then, but, but Martin is, 
I guess, allowing them to be put in the magazine. So I have to think at some level, you know, he's he's in favor maybe of of U.S. Uh, involvement. Yeah, I mean, he didn't ha- he didn't have to purchase them. He didn't have to. Publish yeah, them, you know. Yeah, I wanted to do a little bit more looking up. Like, was this a controversial cover? Because it, it doesn't seem like it would be now, of course. It, it seems like oh, it's perfectly logical to have, you know, Captain America punching Hitler. But that definitely curious at the time, was it considered uh, controversial? So I did find an article um, from uh, the Washington Post in 2017. The article is titled, Captain America was punching Nazis in 1941. Here's why that was so daring. And then it says, uh, putting Adolf Hitler... A still-serving world leader on the cover of a comic book as a villain was definitely a daring and even dangerous move. Marvel editor Tom Brevoort tells the Washington Post's comic riffs, um, Apart from Bundists and supporters of the Axis cause, there was a strong isolationist feeling in America. It says, uh, We've lost some context over the years because of the passing of time. Uh, most people today, including myself, only know Hitler from history. And our view of him and the Nazis have have been shaped very heavily by popular culture that he was featured in, which lampooned him. And it says, uh, to to illuminate just what Simon and Kirby were attempting, Brevoort uses a contemporary parallel. Today, this would be like putting Vladimir Putin or somebody on a comic book cover and vilifying him. Uh, Hitler was then standing was then a standing world leader with an impressive military machine behind him and a number of sympathizers in the U.S. So make no mistake about it, had this been something that genuinely angered the real Hitler, he most likely possessed some apparatus to strike back against Simon and Kirby and even timely as a whole. So yeah, I'm I'm not. I mean, it's funny because um, I left this out of of my Simon review, but they, there was the um, uh, the, the guy that hired him it'd be that he was the assistant editor for in Rochester, the Rochester mm. Journal American. Um, I f- forget his name. It's, his name sounded a lot like Adolf Hitler. Um, yeah, uh, you said it, and I thought uh, it was Adolf. Uh, yeah, Endler. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. Because I was trying to go back and find exactly where. It was. Yeah, Adolf Edler. Edler. Well, yeah. What okay. what he, what I didn't what I didn't get into because it just I mean I already rambled long enough about it but he actually had a little Hitler Hitler mustache at the time okay um so he you know again it was like and they had, they showed some photos of him and it looked a little bit like you know Hitler but not yeah. really but sure you know, but he was a, he was a German American or a German um uh you know immigrant sure. or whatever yeah yeah well. <laughs> He was actually, he said he, you know, Simon heard rumors that he was part of this German friends of the fatherland type group, you know? Okay. And though, you know, there was some shenanigans that went on with some of this stuff. And as time went on, it became more and more like maybe radicalized, maybe. Yeah. And and the way Simon always put it, though, is like, he's like, I never, you know, I never felt uncomfortable around him. I never really saw that side of him. He goes, he used to come to my parents' house. And they serve him dinner, and he's like, he was always very kind to him. He loved coming over for his, you know, Jewish home cooked meals and stuff like that. And he goes, and as that group got more radicalized, he said he stopped being part of them, and he sh- okay. and he didn't have that Hitler mustache anymore. So, you know, he kind of it was kind of like there were groups of people that were, you know, because these were all German people too. I think mm-hmm. they were like, hey, let's stick with the, you know. Um, so, I mean, Simon kind of you know, was aware of some of this stuff. And I mean, there's, I mean, this is a real group and I, 
you know, I, I, I didn't, like I said, I, I don't remember all the details, but there were definitely supporters, you know, I guess back oh, yeah. then, you know, you know, and that's, we'll get into it a little bit with the comic itself, you know, <laughs> with how, yeah. how it goes on and, 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 and as to, you know, make things, you know, a little personal as far as like isolationist versus um, rah, rah, jingoistic, let's go get them. I don't know exactly what year this was pre Pearl Harbor or post Pearl Harbor. My grandmother was a young woman and my grandfather was a old farmer. Well, he was a world war, world war one veteran. He fought in Europe. He was, he did war horse. He took care of the horses that like okay. took, you know, war horse was his movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Side note. Some captain was being a jerk to the horse and abusing it, and he punched that captain because my nothing happened to my grandfather or great grandfather because that he was a massive man. Like he just don't, yeah. <laughs> he didn't he wasn't standing for that. Well, right. Anyways, that being said, he never talked about. I mean, this, this is all according to my grandmother. He 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 never talked about much about what happened over there. Yeah. Um. And she made a comment one time about we need to go over there. You know, we need to. <laughs> and he just lit into her about like. No, we do not. You know, like huh. you don't know what the hell you're talking about. It, like, yeah, it just hit a chord with them. So, like, I mean, there was people that literally had already fought a world war, uh, and they were like, "That's Europe's problem. We don't want oh, anything okay. to do yeah, with yeah. it." You know, and right, then right, right. And, and then, you know, and then there's the younger people too who were like, "Hey, we see what's going on, and this is garbage." And of course, then there's all the political stuff where you know it's inevitable. You know, it's just there's no way you're not getting dragged into it. Sure. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, to, to me, I because I was always stating, you know, I, I almost liken it to, you know, Brevort. Uh, how do you pronounce this, Tom Brevort? Tom Brevort. Yeah, I always mess it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never, I've, I've always read it, not said it. Thank you. That's that's always been my problem with comics. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm sure there's, well, Magneto versus Magneto. That's always oh. been my thing. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, uh Anyways, I, I, I kind of likened it to almost like if we were trying to like make fun of China right now, you know, because right. it's like, oh, yeah, we're, 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 we do we edit stuff to go into their country because we want their money. Sure. Uh, and that's exactly what we were doing for Nazi Germany at the time. Um, and, and at the same time, it's like you're not going to insult a world leader like that without bringing some controversy. You know, yeah. it, it, it's just yeah. I mean, it, it's it was a different time. I mean, obviously, like now, it may, of course, you would make him the most evil villain in history he was <laughs> you know right. like yeah well, yeah so it's like uh it, it's an it's an interesting thing um did you happen to see the uh anything about laguardia uh the mayor of new york at, at the time no and, but uh, kind of his reaction i guess to to this comic um uh, i mean <sighs> I didn't look at anything in this particular case, but I feel like he had a negative reaction to this based on something I read in the... Please enlighten me, actually, um, before I talk uh, myself into a corner. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the this issue you know comes out, and it, it's a huge success for uh, Martin Goodman, for Timely, and it, it instantly like put them kind of on the, on the map and, and had something to rival Superman and Batman for popularity. So Timely is getting, you know, anti-Semitic phone calls and hate mail. Um, but then they also get a phone call from from uh, Fiorello, Fiorello uh, LaGuardia, who's, you know, the mayor of New York at the, at the time. He, uh, he called and talked to Joe Simon and said, you boys are doing a great job and the city of New York will make certain that no harm comes to you. And about that time, or maybe, you know, within days or uh, I don't know. But it says uh, uh, 
uh, uniformed police officers uh, were patrolling timely uh, the offices at timely and kind of the area. So LaGuardia was a hundred percent behind timely and and wanted to thank you know Joe and and I think Jack you know personally uh, for this comic book. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. I do uh, one other phone call that I do want to talk about. Um, I was going to end my, my Jack Kirby kind of piece with, with this because it's a perfect, like Jack Kirby story. Um, uh, he takes ho- a phone call. Jack, I see, Jack I hold, takes, I hope it's the one that you're, that I'm thinking of. It probably is. I, I think okay. uh, I want to, I want to hear this. <laughs> so Jack takes a phone call. Um, the person on the phone said, there's three of us down here in the lobby. We want to see the guy who does this disgusting comic book and show him what real Nazis would do to his Captain America. Uh, so the story goes that Jack rolled up his sleeves, headed down to the lobby, uh, but the Nazi scum were nowhere to be found. Yeah. So that's... <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. And you got to remember, like... To, <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, like, you you talked about, you know, Joe Simon is like six foot three. Um, and I, I forget if... I think it was the Kirby uh, King of Comics book that said... Um, they both like Sir, uh, Simon and, and Kirby both about weighed the same, uh, but Simon is six foot three and Kirby is like five foot two, five foot three, maybe. Um, but, you know, Kirby's just a he's a little runt, you know, but he's he's scrappy. You know, he grew up on the streets of in like I talked about and, and you know, running around with uh, gangs and uh, whatnot. So I think he's a. He's he's been in in several fights, so I think he get he's he could take care of himself, and certainly wasn't afraid to go stand up for you know for himself. So yeah, I, I had an uncle like that. He was the youngest of set like seven kids, and he, to look at him, he's a short, stocky guy with a big bear build, you know, beer belly. Yeah, and one of the strongest an ox, and you would not want to mm-hmm. mess with him. You know, it's yeah. like, and I, that's how I picture Kirby because you know they're probably about yeah. the same height, and that and that's funny because Simon mentioned uh, when he first met Kirby. He said something about he was a little chubby. You know, he, hmm. he said he was literally, he was overweight, you know. Yeah. You know, not fat, fat, but like just sure. he was overweight. And 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 Kirby had made it, I'm going to mess the joke up, but it was something along the lines of he was affected by Danish, the Danish, or it was the, the Danish in him <laughs> or something. And he goes, yeah, he goes, it's the Danish in me that's, that's you know, make, that causes my weight gain or something. Yeah. And he goes, all the Danishes that I've been eating, you know. <laughs> Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or that's what he said. So like the Danish blood, and he's like, yeah, all the <laughs> all the Danish from when I've been eating them. But and then and then there's another story too where he mentions. I I always think about this old people because I was thinking like my old grandparents are like, like especially when they come from the depression era they're like you're just impressed that people can eat like oh boy <laughs> hey, a guy can eat you know and yeah, yeah. so so Simon tells a story about the creation of Red Skull and and it has something to do with dessert and we'll get into that. Okay. But the gist of the story is, he used to, he said I used to go to this diner and I get an ice cream sundae all the time. He goes, I could eat as many of them as I wanted. He goes, Kirby couldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> like, like he just had to like <laughs> throw that in there because he goes <laughs> at the time I could eat. You know, he he was such a skinny, tall, skinny guy. He's, you know, he was burned everything right off. He couldn't gain weight if he wanted to. Type thing. Yeah. You know, and he was a poor Kirby. But but yeah, given that Kirby was a scrappy dude, and and um, I I think we've already dis- decided we're going to discuss some. Uh, some of these guys when they head off to war. And yeah. there's some, some really fascinating stuff about Kirby that I didn't know about, and, and, and it's impressed me um, 
you know, after learning this. <laughs> so, uh, that's a story for another time, but, um, I, I love that story that he's just like, <laughs> no, yeah. I- I'm not putting up with this. I'll sh- <laughs> who are you talking to? You don't know who you're talking to right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, love it. And then of course they, they were gone, you know? Yeah. 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 So it hits the newsstand, you know, Captain America comics, number one hits the newsstand for a dime, right? You can buy it for a dime. I was curious what that, what that would be today, you know? And apparently they sold like a million copies, like right off the bat, um, at least in the, in that first printing. Because you got to remember, like they're putting this comic out for like three months, I think, because it's, you know, they're not putting one of these books out every month. Yeah. It's like a it's yeah. like a quarterly kind of thing. So but they ended up selling like a million copies of it. Uh, so they made one hundred thousand dollars. You know, if you a dime times a million is is a hundred thousand. So. I went through usinflationcalculator.com. So that same comic today would, would that dime would inflate today to a dollar ninety two. So explain why we're spending like two ninety nine or three ninety nine <laughs> on comics. Uh, oh, not... you're lucky if it's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so so today, like that would be you know one point nine two million dollars for in relation to like that money versus money now. So. Just kind yeah. of put that in a little perspective, but yeah, I mean Kirby, uh, I mean Martin Goodman, I, I you know basically the success of this, they saw Captain America as a springboard to other projects, yeah, um, and so that's why he wanted you know Simon on staff. I think we talked about it last episode uh, at the end there, and that's uh, how Kirby on you know, that he brought Kirby in because it's like well he needs a staff position, so not, uh, voila, they're they're now officially timely guys, yeah, uh, uh, and and. Martin Goodman was worried that they wouldn't be able to produce <laughs> the material as much material as they would need going forward. So oh, um, yeah. Goodman actually hired L. Iveson and L. Gabriel. Uh, a okay. lot of L's flight, f- flying around <laughs> at this time. <laughs> um, Simon hired L. Lieberman. And if you remember, he was the fighting um, fighting cartoonist or better known as the bleeding cartoonist uh, that he yeah. kept, kept working with or working taking his job. Uh, in Rochester and Syracuse. So he brought him on and, excuse me, he was the, I think he was the inker actually on okay. Captain America comics. Number one. That's why I said, this name's going to come back. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and just all these, and another newspaper guy, uh, I didn't mention him last time, but his name is Marty Burstein. He did some writing. Uh, he was, he was a, he was actually somebody that Simon worked for and eventually would have worked for him. And sure enough, and he brought him into timely, uh, to be um, do some writing and and you know stuff like that. Yeah. And then they had Howard Ferguson come in for lettering, which he had been doing for them when they were at um, you know just doing freelance stuff. Mm. So, but, but you know, and as they say too, like this, the book wasn't always just pure patriotism. They they tried to do some like kind of horror stories, mystery stories, but yeah. just with Captain America it wasn't straight right. rah rah, you know, all the time. I mean, it kind of is, but just by the nature of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I mean, this was a big stepping stone for these guys and for Mar- well, future Marvel. So yeah, so I might as well just get out of the way now instead of wait until we discuss them in the comic. Sure. So there's a little. Di- I, I I got some discrepancy in my research about hmm. the creation of 
um, the Red Skull, who is is the the inside villain of this story. Yeah. So that was something Simon said was Simon says <laughs> uh, <laughs> that he you know he had a cover villain of Hitler, but Hitler's not really yeah. in it. They mentioned no. the yeah. the Führer, but he's never he's not in it. They needed yeah. a villain on the inside, and so he's a presence only in that everyone's working for him or talking about taking taking whatever they you know taking this or that back to the Fuhrer or yeah you know, same kind of same way in Raiders you know everyone's kind of working for the Fuhrer exactly exactly so uh, you know they needed a villain and it, so to get back to this diner that Joe Simon was going to all the time and eating hot fudge sundays he <laughs> saw the way the fudge came down the vanilla ice cream it, it looked like this weird kind of oozy tentacled creature with limbs, uh, okay. and, you know, and he was like, and, and I've heard him tell this story on YouTube videos and interviews and over and over again. So this is his, you know, reoccurring story that he tells about the origins of the red skull. So he's like, oh, I'll name him hot fudge and it'll just ooze <laughs> all over the place. And he's like, ah, it's stupid. You know, <laughs> Yeah. he said, but he kept looking at it and he noticed the cherry on top and he goes, that kind of looks like a skull. Boom. Red skull. <laughs> and uh and and that's that's where the red skull came from he said nice. that sounds cool now yeah. i found that um what's his name jack kirby actually credits Fra- francis heron uh, okay so 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 kirby credits Fa- francis heron as co-creating or creating the red skull so uh, did he mm. i don't know it, right if if you go into wikipedia it says created by joe simon and jack kirby if you look sure. on you know, some other places. It, it, I actually did see it mentioned that Francis Heron had had a hand in it, but that that came from Jack Kirby uh, in a nineteen seventy San Diego Comic Con stating that uh, it, he was created by Francis Heron. Hmm. So, I, I mean, I've heard Joe Simon tell the story over and over again on interviews yeah. that now that was the inspiration for Red Skull. Did Francis and Francis was somebody that was hanging around them. Um, and doing work with them. So it, it, was it possible that he offered some sort of input into it? At this point in 1970, I don't think Herbie and Simon were... I, I, I know they had a, a they broke up as a team. I don't know what the right. relationship was after that. Was it bitter or was it cordial? I don't know. If yeah, it's bitter... To... Yeah, because I stopped my research at that yeah. point. Like I didn't want to get yeah. too far ahead. <laughs> you know, right. I could see that being a little spiteful answer, though. You know? yeah. But I don't want to accuse him that because I don't know, you know. Sure. It's just, or it just could be. Um, I've heard that Kirby from time to time has gotten things wrong, mm. um, you know, with his uh, memory. Because Simon pointed out something when they did this court case again, when they were trying to get the rights back. And, and Simon drew, uh, Kirby drew out this, like, uh, way the, the bullpen was laid out. And, and they <laughs> yeah. had to literally label everything and. And Simon said there was no way that could have been Jack's desk because, huh. like, the, all his stuff was on the left, and he's he, he's an artist and he's right-handed, so he would have done it on the right, you know, or something like that. So it was yeah. Like, There's just no, you know, but yet, you know, that's the way Kirby labeled it, and it was just, you know, it's simple mistake. But he was saying, hey, it was just pointing out that maybe sometimes he doesn't remember things exactly the way they sure, were. Sure. I just, yeah, so. I just thought it was interesting. I do like that story, though, uh, mm-hmm. that it was <laughs> we have the Red Skull because of a hot fudge Sunday. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, that was another. I didn't know if that came up at all in any of your. Kirby I didn't see research. that. No, no. Did you have anything else on like the buildup of this issue, the the fallout of it or, you know, any anything before we get into the book itself? 
No, I, I think we've I think we've kind of built the suspense up long enough. <laughs> Let's get into the meat of this uh, yeah this this issue and this character. Do you want to start with the cover? Certainly, because it's a good place to start. Yeah, it's good <laughs> good as place as any. Um, yeah, and, I, and we already mentioned it's. I mean, the, the the biggest thing on there is Captain America himself with his non circular shield. Yeah. Uh, punching Adolf Hitler in the face um, with a bunch of Nazis around. All of whom, I mean, have a clear shot at, at Captain America. There's no way he'd get out of that room alive. But Three of them shot Captain America in the back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Only one guy, only the guy in the foreground with his little uh, uh, pistol was cap deflected with his shield. The other three yeah. guys, right in the back, he's done. Right. Captain America, I mean, it's a short issue. <laughs> it didn't even make it off the cover. <laughs> um, one thing I love, I mean, starting kind of the, the top down, one thing I love is that this Captain America uh, font, that just the, the title, that sticks around a long time. They're using that same title design. Uh, Ed Brubaker and um, Steve Epting you know, use that in their Captain America run where they reintroduce, you know, Bucky as the Winter Soldier. Um, I know that that, same Captain America font was used like in the, I think in the seventies or eighties, one of the longer running Captain America runs, you know, uses the same. It just, it's, it lasts a long time. So it was, it's cool to me that it's, Starts here, you know. Yeah, it looks great because you got you got the shadow behind it, so it's yeah. like it, it's sticking out. And I uh, for for this particular issue, I love the you know the red, white, and blue and star stripes behind it as well. Yeah, it's like you know I mean, we're all in on the patriotism uh, of mm-hmm. this first issue, and it's great. Like it's, yeah. it really stands out because too, you got to think about it, it. I don't I don't know if, you know exactly you know I always say spinner racks but you know they could have easily been behind other magazines so sure. that's like that bold color and you know like so even if you don't see cat punching hitler <laughs> you see that you know red white and blue bold yeah. you know uh and then of course captain america bright yellow it's it's it does stand out if you walk by. It's colorful and I, it's yeah. great. And it's forty five thrilling pages of Captain America, <laughs> Sentinel of Our Shores, plus other great features. Which I thought is funny because it's usually you hear Sentinel of Liberty is yeah, or, um, or sometimes Sentinel of Freedom, but it's Sentinel of Our Shores. Which it's interesting that uh, you know one change that the MCU made was that Cap was was born more or less after uh, Pearl Harbor. Mm. Um, and I kind of like that change because you avoid a lot of this whole saboteur and, 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 uh, you know, non overseas cap, you know, <laughs> like, cause, right. uh, you know, the war was already underway by that point. Uh, and, and, and I also like that change for the MCU because it's, um, it gives them a reason to kind of rush the experiment. Like, look, mm. we're in war. We got to get this thing done, you know, like, right, right. Uh, versus here where it's like, eh, we'll get into that, but yeah, <laughs> we're not there. We're still on the cover. Um, I, I noticed that one of the uh, Nazis has a Tommy gun. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I didn't read the article fully to, to, to get the specs, but I was looking at a, a website I follow called we are the mighty. It's all military stuff. And they recently had an article about why the drum magazine was not effective for the U.S. military. It, mm. You know, they, when they used the time, they used these submachine guns. They just didn't use the the uh, the drum magazine the way gangsters yeah. did. Yeah, and and there was a there was a there was a logistical or, or logical reason. Unfortunately, I didn't delve deep enough. 
I was too busy researching about, you know, Joe Simon to worry about <laughs> right. what, you know, why gangsters use drum guns and the military didn't. But seeing the cover then, that stood out. I'm like, oh, I wonder if the Nazis used them because our guys didn't, you know, <laughs> our soldiers. I, I, I've, I've done research on that gun, the Thompson submachine gun for... Maybe for when I was doing Watchmen Minute, um, it could have been for someone else's podcast that I was guesting on that had like that gun. I think it might have been a um, Watchmen Minute. And it was a popular gun with gangsters because they were cheap. Ah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why why the military may not have used, you know, used them. I, I feel like it was something to do with they were cheap and they jammed a lot. So they didn't use the barrel style. I could be, I could be totally misremembering all of that. So don't take any of that as as you know. Well, I, th- I think it might be onto something with the jamming. That that sounds just like something I've heard before. Mm. Now I I do like you know below Hitler there's a map of the U.S. Yeah, and it literally says sabotage plans for USA. Like right, not there's no lo- code, no just <laughs> left right out there on the table. <laughs> there's so much like information on in this it's a it it's a busy cover for sure like in the background you've got the television uh waiting for a motorcycle to drive by maybe it's captain america from the yeah 70s. yeah <laughs> with his plexiglass shield <laughs> and his motorcycle helmet um so yeah you got this television in the background with uh what's clearly you know labeled the u.s munitions works that looks like it well there's a guy in the foreground of the tv you know pressing down the the plunger for this uh, explosion, you know, bomb that they're uh, trying to blow this place up with. Um, well, what I like about that is, you know, I mean, like we've talked about, Hitler's not in this comic, right? Right. So, I mean, and, and it was very common practice, even even to this day, is you'll see a cover that has nothing to do with what's actually mm. in the book. You yeah. know? So the fact that that was there, I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I didn't think about it until you literally get to, like, page number one or two, and you're like, oh, that's something that happens in the book. So yeah. this cover is telling you some stuff about the the book itself, you know. Yeah. And I, I appreciated that. I appreciated that. For sure, yeah. Um it like I said, it is a very busy cover. And um now think think about like action comics number one. You know, we can all picture Superman smashing that that evil green car, you know, with some people running kind of <laughs> running for cover. But if you look at that cover it's very simple. There might be some some uh, detailed line work and and shading and and sh- you know shadows and things like that. But like the background is kind of a, a plain yellow desert. Maybe I think he might be smashing the car against a rock. And then the people that are running around have have some good detail. But then like you look at something like this, and while you could you know not that that action comics number one is is bad. I don't think it's bad. Um, it's just odd, like how full and like how detailed this cover is. Like there's so much crammed into this cover. Again, I love this cover. Yeah. It's just interesting how much more they, they jam into this cover than, than most, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I was trying to do the math, you know, as you're talking, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine characters on the cover, all with various, um, you know, like uh, seven of them are like in the action. 
One yeah. of them is just a pinup of Bucky going, Hey, and I'm here too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then the other ones that, you know, the guy doing the plunger in the background with right. know, less detail, but it's yeah. still, uh, you know, and then, you know, what I noticed too, in the more, the more I keep looking at it as we're talking about it, you could see the broken rebar windows that yeah. kept broke yeah. through. I'm like, that's, that's great. I, you know, I never noticed that until, you know, this, this go around that, yeah, it tells a story that, Cap just busts into this Nazi stronghold or fortress or just just hideout, you know. Um, but yeah, busts in through through this uh, iron barred window and. I mean, they even put they even put a blurb on on it behind his shield. Smashing yeah. through Captain America came face to face with Hitler. Like you said, yeah. it tells a story, literally. Right. Um, that's one uh, little detail I don't like is the that cap. I like the wording of that caption. I don't like that it's placed in black letters on top of the, you know, it's it's like half over the the yellow floor yeah. and the blue wall, and it just put it in a in a white box, you know, just like you know you see also Captain's Captain America's young ally Bucky, you know, just put a put a white box around it like that. Yeah. Honestly, you don't even have to. I mean, I know why they put Bucky on there to get the kids mm. to go, hey, I want, you know, good. I yeah. want to see Bucky too. Cause, you know, that that was the thing. Yeah. But I, I mean, they didn't, they didn't, nowadays they wouldn't put those words, Captain America smashing through, you know, like, no. That would, it would right. just, but the visuals would have, would have been enough. And yeah. the visuals are enough because you almost can kind of gloss over it and not even realize they're there. Oh, yeah. Bucky's another thing that I, I wish he wasn't. In a, in a little bubble, you know, in a, in an also bubble. Like I think I wish he'd be, you know, leaping up and and you know, uh, fighting one yeah. of the guys in the background, you know, or just like somehow part of the action. Even so. just maybe coming in through that window, you know. Yeah. Some, yeah. Something. Yeah. Now, now, I want you to think about this as we're you know discussing this book and going through and reconcile what we see in the in the issue with when it comes to Bucky. Versus what we later get retconned <laughs> to show that, you know, Bucky was a special forces guy. Just, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, this, like uh, you got to really squint to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I had a little fun with that myself when I was sure. reading it. I'm like, oh, because I, I love that Brubaker run. Um, absolutely love it. And, and I was like, well. This isn't this isn't lining up a hundred percent with what they told us in that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I love the change though. I think it's a great way well, to I, explain I, away uh, the goofiness of this teen psychic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just the, I think that Brubaker gets around that by like, oh, he wasn't a kid like like the newsreels you know made it sound like or something like that like. He, you know, he wasn't the little kid that everyone, you know, they they, they well, made him out to be or something, you know. Right. They, they, no, they they explained it away good enough well, in yeah. the comic to the point where I love the change. It's like, yeah, you're that's exactly it. That was propaganda. Mm, oh, Cap yeah. and his little sidekick. Meanwhile, he was <laughs> yeah. doing his dirty work and you yeah. know, giving people piano wire neckties. Uh, you know <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, while Captain America was the good wholesome, you know. Yeah. icon you know like that right, i love right. that change you know but the problem sure. is is you know what what you're seeing and what <laughs> what they tell us later is it's it's hard to reconcile those two together <laughs> um but but i i i love it it's great yeah i mean i guess I mean, do you got anything else about the cover or should we get into the yeah i'm good on the cover um we can talk about his costume 
Sure, let's yeah, let's get that out of the way because it's it's iconic and it's it's still, right there on the front. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the same to this day with few tweaks. It really know? is. I mean, they they certainly you know, and I think the MCU is a big part of it that they they play with textiles and materials a lot more now. You know, he might have different materials making up these same colors, but it, yeah, it, it has not changed much. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you mentioned the uh, was it the shield or the fighting American? I forget which one that probably the, the shield. Yeah, yeah, right. And so because of that, and it's like an issue like three or four, they have to change the the yeah the shield. It's issue two. Oh, it is. Is that soon? Yeah, okay. he gets I the forgot. circle shield yeah. next issue. Yeah. Okay. It was yeah. So it was pretty much right away. Honestly, yeah. that was the best change. Way better shield. You know. I don't know. I like this shield. I like what he can do with the round shield, you know, yeah. throwing it because it's so it's so unique. Um, I think that's a Stan Lee thing. I think by issue three or four, Stan Lee comes up with the idea of him throwing it like a frisbee and it, and it basically bouncing around and coming back to him. Well, I, I I mean I love that addition. I love the circle shield. I like that he can you know put put it on his back. Well, I yeah. think he does it with this one too. But yeah. the um, it, I don't know. It just seems more useful or whatever there's been times you know throughout the runs of you know captain america where you know one time his shield was damaged or lost and so he had yeah. to go back to the old shield you know like and mm-hmm. i i like that i like when they can do that from time to time but and i like that they brought it into the mcu before he got his vibranium vibranium yeah. one you know this is i that to me that is a, a better change as much as i like it uh and 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 the one thing that changes over time is his his uh his costume his mask is right now is more of a helmet, <laughs> yeah. And and it, and it kind of connect it connects you know m- much sure. more around his face and neck as time goes on. But other than that, it's about the same. He's got yeah. the, He's got the pirate boots. He's even got the little <laughs> um, web belt. You know, with all the pouches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everything's it's red, white, and blue. It's it's the yeah. the red gloves. It's great. It's, it's great. There's, it's kind of like what Coulson says in the Avengers. Hey, what's about to happen? The world could use a little old fashioned. Yeah, I love it. Just keep That's, it the way it is. A, yeah, it's a great line. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is, one thing it I, is a... <laughs> one thing I hate about the costume, I've always hated about the costume, are the little wings on the side of his head. I, I, I <laughs> before I got into Captain America, I always, you know, would just like. He looks so stupid with those wings on his head. I, I, if I was in a fight with Captain America, I'd just rip those little wings right off. You know, like <laughs> they just drive me so crazy. Um, I'm glad the MCU went the route of like it's a painted on detail on his his more uh, helmet style mask, which I think is a great change. And they've kind of adopted that more or less in the in the Marvel comics, which I'm also happy about. Yeah, um, I, I, like I got a, I got a, for my background of my screensaver of my, my computer, I got uh, like a painted rendition of uh, all the Avengers from the first Avengers movie. Hmm. But what they did with Cap is it, it, it was very much like the Ultimates version where it was, there was, you know, like you said, it was painted on, but it just looks like a, almost like a, not a Spider-Man mask, but it just looks like something's missing. It'd be like Batman without the pointed ears. It just, <laughs> I, I don't like the way it looks as much. Some huh. artists can pull it off. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the MCU did a great, like you said, I, I appreciate what the MCU did because putting those wings on a real-life costume versus a comic is a totally different thing. Sure. But 
it when it's on the page i, I love it i yeah. love it i don't care <laughs> now uh, i i will say like we you, you already mentioned you know putting him in that uh in the like this costume in the in the first avenger and he's doing the uso type campaign and he's you know putting on this costume and he's socking hitler on the jaw night after night it, it's it's so perfect it's the best way to do that like to pay homage to this costume and they can kind of make fun of it but in a very earnest and sincere way you know they can embrace it by making it propaganda you know by making it yeah. this uh you know he's he's a he's a mascot for selling war bonds and that that sort of thing. So well, and, and you see even in that where he does uh, an old cereal and and they did yeah. a Captain America cereal and it looked very similar to that kind of like you know, stitched together mom major costume type thing. Yeah, and and so yeah, it works. And of course, then you know I don't want this to turn into MCU talk because I easily could. It, yeah. It's. He, when he goes out on the mission, he's still wearing portions of that costume, and then he puts on some other military, like real military yeah. stuff, and that that marries the concept of this goofy costume with what eventually becomes his costume, but it's still a military utility, sure. you know, like it's and it's great. And then, I, and yeah. of course, once it's modern times, they update it to the latest and greatest, you know. Um, right. As time goes on, they up, it's it's always the same costume. But some of them are better than others, and I think like the the Endgame, the um, uh, Civil War, and even the uh, Age of Ultron costumes that he wears mm. are probably the best ones. Yeah, uh, as far as being as close as authentic to this, like I love the Avengers one when it first came out. But <laughs> looking back on it, it looks a little uh, goofy, you know, compared. Yeah, to, like, <laughs> I I think probably is Age of Ultron might be my favorite of the MCU look because as you get later after that, they start dropping out the red. Like it becomes like picture him in end game. All I picture is like Navy blue, you know, but that end battle, I, I can't think of a single red item on his costume. You know, I think it's very washed out by that point. Yeah. And so yeah. it's there, but it's, it's kind of like when they muted um, Superman's costume in man of steel, mm. that costume itself was bright. But not when yeah. you saw it on yeah, screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was different. So I yeah, you're right. Um, but the color, as far as the colors, you're right. It, it Age of Ultron stands out perfect. Mm. So. Um, I want to we we mentioned the the Pep Comics, you know, character of the Shield, and yeah, they did. Uh, I don't know that they sued. I think they let's see what does it say here. I think they just sent a letter, kind of uh, saying like, hey can you stop? Cause like their character is, is, uh, you know, the shield, he's got a red bodysuit and his torso. It looks like captain America's shield, like on this cover, you know, it, it's, it's the same shape. It goes from his chest all the way down. I mean, to his crotch, you know, it's like, it's literally his entire torso is that shield pattern. And, you know, he's got, like, boots and gloves, but they're different enough. It's really the, just the shield. So I get why they don't want Captain America carrying something that almost looks identical to what is on the chest and torso of uh, their character. So yeah, um, yeah. could be wrong about them. No, I don't want to read a, a you know, search <laughs> through a Wikipedia article right here, but... Hey, as, as I've heard others say, we're lovers. We're not experts, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I want to say too, it was more of a, we're going to threaten to sue you if you don't. And they were like, ah, yeah. what's your, if it doesn't matter, fine, just change it, make a circle. 
you know. Yeah. I think I finally found it said like accusations of plagiarism. So that was probably something was sent their way that was strongly worded with those keywords, and that probably was enough to, you know, without getting lawsuits involved. That's probably all it took, really. Right. To avoid uh, it, let's just change yeah, it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Get ahead of it before it becomes a problem. But uh, yeah. Well, what do you, what do you say we dig into the issue itself? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, one of the first things that pops up is not a case file, but like like an index, you know? Yeah, this table of context contents, yeah. which is different than any of the Marvel books we've we've had heretofore, and I, I figured out why. I, I get why this is here. I don't know if if you pieced it together. But this whole book is clearly meant to be, it's not to meant, it, it wasn't meant to be for a Captain America book. It was meant to be, here's a Captain America story, put it inside Daring Comics, Mystery Comics, Marvel Comics, whatever, you know, whatever you want to, you know, do with it, which makes sense now that you, you talked about, you know, Joe and Jack were just cranking these stories out. So most of the content was probably ready to go. And I, I do think it came down to, hey, let's put to put together this uh, patriotic book. You know, give me four stories. We'll cram them all in one book, you know, and with, with a couple other little little backup features. But I think that's why you get this table of contents page and why the yeah. four stories about Captain America throughout this book are different or are not like... A continual story. Well, as you even said, like we did horror, you can kind of see that we did mystery. Like, mm. like you can kind of see that, like these were, like you said, they were meant to go in mystery comics or yeah. you know, dairy comics. Like it's, and they 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 do flow a little bit together, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. It's you got to squint, but you can yeah. kind of see if there's a little bit of a connection. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're um they all have the same themes, I think. Mm-hmm. Saboteurs. Yeah. Saboteurs everywhere. Saboteurs, yeah. <laughs> Sabotage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the first case, you know, case number one, you know, that's it's just the Captain America origin, you know, or or it's a very truncated, you know, version of what I thought was the Captain America origin. Like, there are things about this that, uh, that aren't as detailed as I would have thought based on what other, you know, sources of, of whatever comics I've read, you know, and like there are details that are different. So we'll get into oh, that. Oh yeah. But, yeah. Well, uh, I, I mean, this is, this is the basic origin that you see in Captain America, the first Avenger. There's, there's yeah. a lot of stuff lifted directly from this, but like you said, that some of the, some of the names and changes, some of the names have been changed to protect <laughs> the innocent. Let's just say, You're right. Uh, yeah, it, it's a little bit different. And you know, you also got to remember too, like, I've seen this probably reprinted before plenty of times. In yeah. fact, I have I have my 60th anniversary cap that I pulled out, mm. uh, and and they have this 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 particular one reprinted. But what's funny is it's usually only this portion of the Captain America comics number one that gets reprinted. They don't reprint the yeah. other stories. Yeah. I honestly didn't realize that there was more to it than this first story. <laughs> you know? I, well, yeah, I it's, that surprised me too. I mean, I mean, knowing that, like, after we did, like, Marvel Comics number one and knowing how they, like, go through things, I'm like, okay, I get to see how, you know, they did comics at the time, but I didn't, I just thought this was the only Captain story. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, as they've retold the story over and over and over again throughout the years, 
you get more details. You get more, you get retcons, you know, you get stuff yeah. like that. Uh, you, you mentioned that 60th anniversary Captain America issue. There's, um, I know you know about this, but as of this recording, there's recently an 80th anniversary Captain America comic that's been added to Marvel Unlimited. And it's, it's it may not be 80 pages. It might be. I forget how many pages it is, but it's basically every page from this story and from, I guess, a couple of the other stories in here are recreated by, by pick an artist. I think Alex Ross gets a page and, yeah. you know, the whole, the, the list of, you know. Ep- Epton gets a page, I think. Yeah, uh, there you go. Um, like um, I forget who does the cover. Uh, uh, Steven, somebody who does lots of good comics. Uh, <laughs> I can't uh, think yeah. of it right now. Um, McNiven. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Is it right? Is that his name? Uh, yeah. That's a name. Yeah. It's a name. <laughs> it's a name. Um. But uh, you know what? Um, just I, you know, I'm, I read obviously Captain America comics number one. Then I went back and reread that. And now they mm. do the they do meet Captain America and they do the the Red Skull. Story. Okay, and that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I yeah. For some reason they don't do the sand uh omar and sand the... oh yeah. yeah yeah they don't do that one. and then the the chess story yeah, yeah. right and uh okay. but what they do is they they also do uh avengers number four. Oh, that's right that's what it was yeah that's why they're where they're filling in a lot more of that that detail the challenge was can you out kirby kirby Mm. you know See, or something like that is what they said you're not gonna out yeah. kirby, kirby but you can there's some really nice homages to kirby in there oh yeah you know the interesting thing about that is i don't see a lot of kirby in this like in some of the faces like for me kirby draws a face that you you can just recognize from a mile away oh yeah you know? oh yeah. yeah i don't see that in this captain america at all so i i, I just always assume that this is more of a Simon drawing and maybe Kirby is doing it in Simon's style like that. I would after, you know, reading and, and, you know, I I believe that Kirby could do that. Like, yeah, uh, I I think so too, because between, especially this first issue where it's a first page was this case. Number one, like I don't see that like Cap's face is very narrow and long. Yeah. He's he's tall and lanky, not like a, he's not a brawler. Like, well, I mean, think about like, Avengers number four. That's Kirby's Captain America. They're they're yeah. totally different, you know. I, I was I, I always wondered if it was like he's still and like he was young. He was learning his style. And it, know, yeah, that's that's very possible. Yeah. If Simon was doing layouts, maybe he was doing pencils over his layouts. Mm. You know, like uh, and all, like yeah. you said, learn, knowing that they all tried to kind of now the way I took it is Simon tried to match Kirby a little bit more, but he did say they all just tried to kind of match each other. So yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. Maybe it was a blending of style, you know. It's a melting uh, pot. Exactly. <laughs> Just like America. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but we get right down there, we get a nice picture of Bucky kind of charging in the background. Like, hey, don't yeah. forget about me. And still waving. still just like, I'm here too. <laughs> yeah, basically running up yeah. and I'm like, hey, G. Willikers. Um, and it's Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Yeah. There's a little, uh, one, of, one of the only little panels in this page. It's... Uh, got the man in the yellow hat from curious george so yeah, that's he's, a good point. he's he's um at the recruiting he, station trying to do his part so that's that's good to know he is enlisted now is that, that this um the, this little panel about them talking about as the ruthless warmongers of europe focus their eyes on a peace-loving america the youth of the country heed the call 
uh, call to arm for defense. And so it's, it's a recruiting station. And yeah. I was wondering about that. I'm like, was this is pre um, uh, Pearl Harbor. So, you know, was there a huge uptick in the military service in 1941, you know, prior to, because that was December 7th, 1941. Right. So, you know, I mean, this is early <laughs> in the year. In fact, as we said, this was written in this, you know, hit the street date was December 1940. Yeah. Well, so I, I think I found, that, that I think that falls under maybe a little bit of uh, propaganda. Like let's 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 imply that people are like heading to the <laughs> to to the recruiting so the, station yeah. just to maybe that'll lead some people to think, oh, I be, uh, maybe I should do that. You know. Well, you know, and and that, and that may be the case, hundred percent. But I was I found this um this this chart from U.S. military personnel from 1939 to 1945. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they actually did not list the Coast Guard at uh, in 1939, 40, or 41. They only started listing them once wartime was there. Mm. Because once wartime happened, you know, the Coast Guard's pr- protecting our shores. Sure. Uh, but from 1939, the total U.S. military service for Army, Navy, and Marines, because, again, there was no Air Force at the time, and Coast Guard didn't count, there was 334,473,000, uh, you know, people. Wow. Um, but in 1940, it was four, uh, 458,000. And then in 1941, it was 1,801,000. Hmm. So a decent jump from one year to the next prior yeah. to war. Huge jump. And <laughs> 1942 is when more most of the people started enlisting because it's like, I mean, some people signed up day one. It was December yeah. 8th and they were signing up. But you're not going to get the massive influx until the 42, where it yeah it jumps up to almost four million people. Right. <laughs> and now they start including 56,000 um, Coast Guard guys as well. Mm. So I mean, yeah, it, it they were heading to the. I mean, based on this chart alone, you can you could say there were still people getting ready for <laughs> for military service. Sure. Uh, there there was definitely a ramp up. They knew it was coming. Oh you know? yeah. The second little panel, it, it it's tied into what we see on the cover of of someone, you know, these uh, uh, men who are carrying out Defuhrer's plans to blow up this this uh, munitions plant. So, you know, that gets paid off in the in the next page where you see the building just just wrecked, just blown up. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's you know that's what you see on the cover, like you said. And and they mentioned they they mentioned it in that panel, and then I think a couple times throughout the dreaded fifth column yeah i had um, never heard of that phrase oh really oh yeah i, I mean I've, I've seen it come up you know before and so t- typically when somebody says the you know the fifth column it's usually uh any clandestine group or faction of subversive agents who attempt to undermine the nation's solidarity by any means at their disposal the Viet Cong would have been considered a fifth column you okay. know they were basically insurgents in your own co- you know in, in your own country right you know people who are loyal to somebody else that's going to overthrow from within that's the yeah. fifth column and they said the term is the, is conventionally credited to Emilio Mola Vidal a nationalist general during the Spanish Civil War from 1936 to 39 as four of his army columns moved on Madrid the general referred to his militant supporters within the capital as his fifth column okay. intent on undermining the loyalist government from within so that's i mean that's exactly what they're saying because these guys are faking joining the army yeah you know with fake papers and going to take out the plan of course they blow up a munitions plan mm-hmm. plant and that leads um you know these top men <laughs> to uh these top, top army generals <laughs> exactly which which men <laughs> they go right to fdr this is fdr yeah 
Yeah, that was a I, that was a surprise cameo for for me. I wasn't expecting FDR in this. I also wasn't expecting him to be standing. Oh well, I, that doesn't surprise me. You would definitely wouldn't show him seated. You know. Although I think when they re, when they redid the um in that 80th issue uh 80th anniversary issue we were talking about they re- they redo this panel just as is he's standing in shadow but i think there's another one where they it looks like he's actually sitting down <laughs> i was like oh, oh some, somebody put him si- sitting down yeah. that's the thing i'm like i'm surprised they didn't have him behind a desk that's all <laughs> yeah um I, I, the other thing that stands out about this particular page is hey, you know, we really could use one of those comic book characters like the Human Torch. Wouldn't that be great? That would solve all our problems. <laughs> yeah, that that was an odd... That's weird. It's weird. <laughs> it, it's, is it, is he saying that, that the Human Torch is literally a comic book character featured in the pages of, you know, Marvel Comics or whatever? Um, or is he saying that the Human Torch is real and now they've made comics about him. Like, well, I think that's going to be the that's going to be the explanation. Like, yeah. Cause didn't they even they did that in like later in in like sixties and eighties even right? Like there was comic books based on the Fantastic Four. Sure. I, you know, yeah, yeah. didn't they? I think. Well, now I was thinking of She Hulk breaking the fourth wall all the time, but right. Like, but but yeah, I think they did that. It was like no, there's really comic like there is Marvel studio you know, comics in the MCU. Or you know not MCU, but in the in the Marvel universe proper, um, yeah. they exist. You know they've met some of those guys even. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think and that's what they're going to say. But the the intention I think behind this is those were comics. This is real. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to like. Um, you get the impression like, oh, this Captain America will never meet the Human Torch, and you know the yeah. way that Namor and and Torch met up. You know because. They don't exist in the same realms, but it's weird to have one a different character being called out. You know, I wonder if there was an addition to to be like, hey, look, we're all under timely. You know, like we're mm. this, like we're tying it into timely, or if it was just like a funny yeah. thing they thought because, hey, our guys at Funny Zinc are putting this together. You know, you know right. what I mean? Like, I, it's I I didn't see anything about it, but there's something else that comes about that later, and I'll mention it when we get to mm. you know when we get there. But uh, I mean, basically, they call the FBI in. Say hey, take these guys. We got a secret plan. You know, we got it. We got a secret, and you guys, and you're gonna go watch it. You know, we're gonna observe it. And this yeah. is really where I was saying they get into the whole MCU origin, where yeah, um, they go to a rundown section of. They never say why. I always assume this is DC because uh, they literally just left the, <laughs> the yeah. president's office. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get this. The sense that this is in the heart of Brooklyn, the way the first Avenger is, um, but it is, it, I was really surprised to see, you know, a little old lady with a gun in a little old, you know, antique store, um, kind of being part of this, uh, clandestine operation. So that was yeah. a, a genuine surprise to me. It's like, they you know, really obviously did their homework with, uh, making first Avenger and yeah. Yeah, and, and there's a, there's a panel right at the very bottom of the page, um, one of the last panels, and, and she that that old lady looks sinister when she's like the formula she does. found. I was like, oh, she's evil. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, and then, just, like the next page, she's she peels off this face of the old woman, and it says, "The army officials gasp in startled amazement as the wrinkled old shopkeeper sheds her wizened features to become an astoundingly beautiful woman." Yeah. 
I think that's why she kind of was supposed to look sinister because I think they were going to do this reveal of like, hey, look, she's not an old lady after all. This is a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did, did you catch her? Um, she's Agent yeah. X-13. Right. And I'm like, oh, one of the most trusted agents. I'm like, you know, Agent 13s come up a lot. You yeah. Know, she, in Sharon history. Carter is yeah. Agent is. Yeah. Sharon Carter is Agent 13. So this X-13 is, is it's a similar, you know, enough. And, and I, I don't know. I don't think they ever name her here. I, I think this is Peggy Carter. But that could just be, you know, influence from the MCU. You know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I think they could have borrowed that, you know, idea, but it's yeah. never explicitly stated at all. You yeah. know, she's just an agent who's there to witness. You know, first off, she's protecting. Now she's witnessing the. Um, you know, they don't, they don't name this young man who no. comes up at all. He's just a frail kid who. He's he's about to become one of you know America's savior. He just the frail young man. That's all they really say. Yeah, the the um, whole like Steve Rogers was a ninety eight pound weakling, like that is the origin I know about Captain America. It's always been like ninety eight pound weakling, you know. So I don't know where that comes from. It must be in some retelling. My yeah, I, I mean I don't know if it's I, I would have to guess it's like the retelling from like when. Cap is reintroduced to to like in the sixties, but it's also Maybe, very yeah. possible that they redo the origin like seven issues later and they just add that detail. You, you know that what I mean? That could like, be, yeah. It's yeah, it's just hard to say without you know have read every single issue. But you're right; yeah. it's always the ninety eight pound weekly. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I just I just found this funny the way it's worded. Mm. Calmly, the young man allows himself to be inoculated with the strange seething liquid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Dear Lord, did you did you get, sign a waiver? Did you, you know, that doesn't yeah. sound great. <laughs> you know, like, but it's it's funny. It's it's uh, I don't know. I'm a terrible person, but uh, no, yeah, do, it's, <laughs> it just sounded weird. Sorry, uh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm derailing. Um, I'm, there's a there's a great detail from the the page where he's you know you first see who we know to be Steve Rogers. You first see him. And then the next page, he's been injected, and you know, by the end of the page, he's the buff, you know, Captain America physique that we know. But if you look at his pants, he has clearly gotten taller because in the first, or the preceding page, his pants look, you know, like they go all the way to his shoes. You know, they're they're long. They're you know, he's probably skinny enough that they're the pants themselves are just very uh, billowy and a lot of extra fabric. But then you skip to the next page, and he's got some high waters on. Like you oh, yeah. see his ankles. So it's just a nice detail that they they thought. Well, he he gets taller. You know, he gets he fills out. You know, it's just a nice detail I wasn't expecting. But yeah, he goes from he goes from wearing his dad's pants to like <laughs> expecting a flood. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is he's wearing capris at this point? Yeah, and you know, and they do a good job of of showing the transformation because as he's he's still skinny, but he's getting muscular, you know, in that mm-hmm. first kind of panel, and then you see his back, and it's huge. Yeah, but and, and then by the time he's standing next to uh, Reinstein, right? Um, he's he's like he's got like eight abs, you know, like it's <laughs> he's he's um he's you know he's pretty he's pretty ripped. Yeah, uh, and no, he is uh, taller than Reinstein in both, you know, I guess both pages, but... But he's uh, really taller than him in, yeah. in, once he's got the formula in him. Now, I, there's one thing I like. 
I really like in uh, when he's getting injected. It's your Steve Rogers. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. And, and it's like Reinstein, we're going to quote unquote say, <laughs> it's, right. it's facing the reader and sticking them like it's an it's not perspective, it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really well done and I did not expect that level of you know uh, layout basically is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Uh but you know back then. But if you notice they do some good jobs of breaking like Steve's arm goes across one of the panels. Um and in fact Cap they 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 come outside of the frames of the panels from time to time. And I yeah. really like that. It, it it especially it shows a scope of size, you know, and like he's like now he's Captain America so big he can't the panel can't con- contain him and he's, yeah. he's in front of the of of the you know the white background basically it's it's great so and um, like like you mentioned this is Doctor Reinstein not uh, Doctor Erskine who you know again like I don't know if you would have asked me fifteen years ago I would have said Doctor Erskine you know and and the ninety eight pound weakling like I don't know where that where Reinstein, you know, I mean, obviously I know where it came from. It came from here, but I don't know where that goes. Like where, how does Reinstein turn into Erskine? Well, my, my guess is somebody reprinted it and totally forgot the name or didn't realize it or, you know, (laughs) something that simple and mundane. That could be. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, as a kid or as a younger person, when I was collecting, I I understood that there was a Reinstein and an Erskine and for some right, or Erskine or Erskine or whatever. But for some reason, I thought they were two different guys working on the formula together. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, who's this one guy? What I, when I, when I looked, when I try to look online, I see what they said is that he was. This was an, they covered it up by saying this was an alias for Erksine. This hmm. is Erksine. He used Reinstein to hide. You know, I, I okay. looked at it as like if you take the MCU version where yeah. they wanted to get the formula, they wanted to kill him. Well, he would hide as you know as a different you huh. know as an alias. You know, He's, maybe he, yeah, he defected yeah. and took a new name. Still um, German. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's my guess. I, I, I mean, he just names him Captain America right then and there. Yeah, yeah. I shall call you Captain America, son. You know, because that's that's what you you know you like. Your America shall gain the strength, and you will safeguard our shores. Just like just like that. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no uh, costume. There's no discussion of it. It's just like now you're Captain America. Yeah, and then they like just like the first Avenger. You've got this saboteur um, who's who's observing the entire thing. Um, what does it say? I was thinking that there was a line about them wanting to do this to create more like him. And then yeah. that's when the, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's the saboteur who says, I'm afraid this one experiment, this is one experiment that must never reach its final test. So, well, he yeah. said, he's behold, the crowning achievement of all my years of hard work, the first of a core of super agent, oh, there you super go. agents, uh, whose mental and physical ability will make them a terror to the spies and saboteurs. <laughs> and you're right. And he said, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> this will never reach his final test. And he okay. pulls out a gun and just starts blasting everybody. Yeah. Shoots the FBI agent, Mr. Yep. Grover, who we didn't name. Uh, X-13 is like, look out, Mr. Grover. Uh, and she's got a Cap- gun. Yeah. Yeah. She, she yeah. springs an action. Cap, um, he's like, he just grabs him. Come on out, you skunk. And he just, yeah. you know what I like is... And I saw. I noticed this another time too. When he punches him, well, the sound effect literally is sock. Mm-hmm. You know, just like he socks it to him, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so 
it's it's one of the you know he punches the guy I don't know so hard or enough to make him stumble into some uh, some equipment and and he dies kind of by his own hand, but just like you know with Human Torch you know the 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 spy dies and Cap is like you know it's a it's a fate he well deserved you know I just, I yeah. like that uh, that. I don't know, blase attitude about like, well, he got what's coming to him. Right. He he had a very Ricardo Montalban death like in Naked Gun. Oh, I, I, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, basically from that point on, it's like it's, it's a now there's headlines and yeah, it's, here's Captain America. He's nabbing spies. It's he's uh, he prevents a dam explosion. Uh, he, number one spy buster. Who is Captain mm-hmm. America? You know what I like, too, is, like, Captain America in his civilian garb as Private Steve Rogers, not Captain Rogers, um, he's dressed very much like a Boy Scout. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know where this came from, but... So he's wearing a, basically a smoky bear. He's wearing a campaign cover. He's wearing the same kind of hats that... Or cover, as the Marines call it, that the drill instructors wear. Okay, um, yeah. But, you know, traditionally, I think these were, um, like, the Buffalo Soldiers started wearing some stuff like this, and, and Calvary wore these type of hats. So I was curious. I'm like, well, what, you know, what is Steve Rogers supposed to be a part of? And and I really couldn't find it, uh, but I had a theory. There's the 36th Division trainees I saw. Well, it says 36th Division trainees, but the Army's 36th Division, they were um, – they were active in World War One, but they were also, and they had those type of campaign covers that they wore. Um, they wore them throughout, I think, through World War Two as well. And you know, obviously, the campaign cover got adopted into being more of a, um, you know, like I said, drill instructor type thing. The Highway Patrol wear them, you know, like that, that, yeah. that stuff. Smokey the Bear. That's why we call them. We always like in the Marines, like I want to wear my Smokey the Bear, you know, like that's. that's <laughs> chant you know like yeah <laughs> i want to be a drill instructor i want to wear oh, okay. a smoky bear yeah gotcha and uh, but i saw that uh, the 36 infantry division arrowhead is known as the Pan- uh, panther division it, they're actually a basically a reserve unit uh out of the texas army national guard that gets called up and hmm. they wear those hats you know okay. so i'm like oh i wonder if the maybe he's from he's meant to be from texas <laughs> you know like and not brooklyn at the time because again we yeah. don't get any of his backstory yet but either either way he could have been I feel like the, like this uniform even at that time was a throwback. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, do they? It do, yeah, it does feel like it, it looks like what uh, Indiana Jones is wearing in the in the flashback at the start of uh, oh uh, uh, Last Crusade. Crusade. You know, when he is right. with the scouts. You know, yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's great. That's a that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I mean, I guess that was. Um, that was a uniform of the time. It's just not what I yeah. expected Cap to be wearing, you know. Because there's others, uh, gen- like generals and majors. We see them in the right uniform that I would have expected from that era, you know. Uh, it was a choice, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it does say in that uh, one of the one of the final panels, it puts him in uh, in Camp Lehigh, which is New Jersey. I think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure in First Avenger. He's in New Jersey in that training camp, yeah. Um, because when they go back there in uh, Winter Soldier, he's like, well, "Let's go to Jersey" or something like that. I mean, yep, it, it was explicitly says because so. they were going on their their cover stories that are going on their honeymoon to New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but now we get to the final page of this story, and it's actually something you posted on our social media and had some fun <laughs> with. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Captain America is getting into his uniform just in his unsecured tent, <laughs> and uh, and in walks old Bucky Barnes without knocking. He's you know he's he's got to be about twelve, thirteen years old. <laughs> if that, walks, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's yeah. Actually, he seems to be younger, but and and he catches I, Steve. Oh my God, you're Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> You, you little, little rascal. rascal. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Not a 10 year hide. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, so what I posted on our Instagram was, you know, you got two choices, kid. I'm going to beat you. Or from now on, we both share this secret and you're going to be my partner. So you either get beaten or go out on patrol with me, you know, in the line of fire. And as my, as my shield, <laughs> I mean, as my, my, you know, my decoy, my uh, so that's that's the that's the cynical me, just you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean that's that's really kind of what it looks like, though. It's yeah. like yeah, he, he doesn't get a shield. Cap does, you know. It's yeah. like, and as you find out, like I don't know if he's as, as we go into some of these other cases, I don't know exactly how equipped Bucky was to handle some of these situations he's in. Um, so yeah. Well, and and when we first see him in that in that previous page just now they say he's the mascot of the regiment and so i had to look up you know and that's another thing that um i've always known was was a thing uh related to bucky i don't know where i read it but you know you just it's one of the things you know you know he's just this kid that's always around this uh this army base or uh whatever like and as the mascot you know and so I look up mascot of the regiment and that is, that's generally what they, like they designate a, a pet or an animal, you know, the mascot of the regiment. It's not, right. it's not something that is like a, a person, a, a human, you know, and there's a whole big list. You can look up mascot of the regiment. I'll probably put it in the show notes, you know, for like the Wikipedia page for that. And it's, you know, various military regiments throughout uh, the world we'll have this similar thing. Um, I went down the rabbit hole of finding out that the Norwegian King's guard, uh, let's see, he's the Colonel in chief. And like for the last like couple, like two decades, he's this officer has like been promoted like uh, several times, but his name is Nils Olav and Nils Olav is a penguin. So I saw (laughs) that and just, that just really tickled me. I really like that. So show notes for that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of mentioned it. I was in the Marines, and when when I was um, at a training base on a Navy base, uh, from we had a mascot. We had a Sammy the Bulldog. Mm. He was uh, he just hung out. Funny thing is, this this darn dog, he would bark at any other service that went by, but he knew the Marines and would not bark at them. <laughs> I don't know how he knew it. He just knew it, and uh, and. You know, he he just he was our guy. He just hung around with us. Nice. And he, technically, he outranked me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this this particular you know story ends with basically, hey kids, send in ten cents and yeah. we'll send you uh, a membership card. And I believe um and a well, button. you know it's like uh, a button. Yeah, like I looked badge, I looked yeah. it up. There's like a brass badge. They're out there. Like uh, yeah, you know Leland's. You know the the auction place had them. They're you know they're not cheap. <laughs> I found um, I found one on eBay for like fifty bucks. But I mean, yeah, it looked, I kept, I, it looked I pretty. Across, you know, 
No, it just it looked it didn't look great. You know, it looked like it was yeah. pretty uh, well worn, and you know, yeah, I, I kind of saw some for like two hundred bucks, and oh, okay, yeah, it was pretty. Neat. What I really would like is the, the actual. I mean, the badge is cool, but I, I kind of yeah. like the idea of having that. Um, uh, I this, this the pledge. I solemnly mm. pledge to uphold the principles of of the Sentinel of Liberty and assist Captain America in his war against spies in the U.S. Signed, whatever. I I would totally sign that to this day. Yeah, um, I remember it might have been in a Wizard magazine. I don't remember where I would have gotten it, um, but they uh, they they put out Avengers cards, like because uh, the term like card carrying member of the Avengers is a is a term you know that goes way back. Like if you're an Avenger, you get a card. You literally get a, a card, you know, and it's like this particular card because of the time that this came out, it was like in the nineties. Um, it's, you know, had kind of not, not this pledge, like, like this cap, this Sentinel of Liberty, you know, pledge has, but it's something similar to it, you know? Um, and then at the bottom it's, it says, uh, it's got, um, Henry Peter Guyrich, who's like the, well, he was like an X-Men character, but I think in this, you know, instance, he's like, um, he was you know, the liaison for the UN for a while. Yeah. For for the Avengers. So he was definitely a yeah. somebody they brought into the Avengers world at that time. Yeah. yeah. But then also like signed by President Bill Clinton, you know, and then you you can sign <laughs> your name to it, you know, once you officially, you know. So it's just like you could have this uh, you're you're now an Avenger kind of thing. So that's as close as I got and that was just a like a free card inside of a I think a Wizard magazine or something. It sounds like familiar. That, but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I probably st- I've got it around here somewhere. I'm sure. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know what I like about this? You know this this campaign to to join up with the Sentinels of Liberty. It's this magazine is going to bilk these kids out of another ten cents. They've they've already got your your ten cents to buy the magazine. Now we want you to send us another ten cents. Um, I tried looking up like how many of these badges or how many of these, you know, memberships they, they managed to, to do, you know, but I, I couldn't find any, any numbers. I'd just be curious to know how much they made off that. Yeah. I, I didn't see anything like that either. And, but just the fact that they exist kind of made me smile, you know, yeah. like, I just love it. But you're right. It's like, but it's, to me, it's no different than when like I was a kid and I attempted to send out for uh, GI Joe dog tags so I could be oh, sure. GI Joe, you know, I was like, I put my yeah, own yeah. dog tags, put your own code name in there. <laughs> like I never got yeah. <laughs> Well, in like the, the design changes over the years, the, the card that you get, it looks about like that card, I think. And the button or the badge looks, I think quite a little bit different. Um, but then in future issues of Captain America comics, they'll they'll continue this sort of advertisement. But you can tell that other companies have started to adopt this uh, idea because the the new like or the updated language of the advertisement says like you'll know don't don't believe all the imposters you know you you know it's the real thing if if Captain America's on it or something like that so. I'm guessing like Pep Comics or or some of the other ones were maybe trying to do a similar, 
you know, campaign. So yeah, yeah. Or these I mean, guys all, may have, all... may have ripped it off too. So right, exactly. They, they were all stealing off off yeah. each other back then. Like, what's what's hot? What can we you know make money on for sure? But I mean, but it's no different than doing the chromium foil. You know, yeah. covered with three D. You know, like whatever. It's just it's the latest thing that you can try and get. Yeah. You know? But um, I want one. But anyway, yeah. oh, I do too. <laughs> And now a reading of Captain America and the Soldier's Soup, as read by Tom Taylor from the Indiana Jones Minute. Additional voices by Dave Pallas from 5 Minutes of Mystery, and your hosts Travis Bow and Brian Lockhart. Captain America and the Soldier's Soup The cold, stark rays of an autumn moon gleamed down on the great tent city. Uncle Sam's selective service boys were asleep. Sharp, deep shadows fell everywhere. An eerie, unreal quiet hung over the white mounds like a ghastly foreboding of terrible things to come. Private Rogers stirred uneasily in his cot. His hand mechanically slid over the bed next to him. He was reassured. His young admirer, Bucky, lay there sound asleep. The soldier turned noiselessly on his cot, smilingly remembering that Bucky was there because a kind-hearted colonel of an indulgent government just could not let such devotion as Bucky's go unrewarded. With a start, Rogers sat bolt upright. He knew now why he had awakened. He missed the steady tread of the sentry. He listened, his every nerve tensed like a well-strung tennis racket. No sound came to him, only the steady breathing of his boy pal. Convinced that there was some mischief afoot, he leapt from his cot. Behind a clump of bushes, almost completely hidden by the inky shadows, Rogers' eagle-sharp eye came upon the slumped body of the sentry, dead. He straightened up to his full six feet three, a defiance blazing in his deep blue eyes that swore an undying vengeance for the murder of his fallen comrade. He disappeared into his tent. In the twinkling of an eye, another emerged. It was the mythical Captain America, he whose deeds were the toast of the army, from the office of the Secretary of War to the lowliest outpost in the steaming jungle of the far-off Philippines. He stood there for a moment, framed against the white of the tent, a resplendent figure in a tight-fitting suit of old glory, the nervous ripple of his tremendously powerful muscles plainly visible under their red, white, and blue covering. Two shadowy figures were sneaking along the great cookhouse, among the giant cookpots that looked like monster kettle drums at attention. You conked that sentry guy too hard, whispered Slinky, squinting his one eye hard at his partner. You didn't have to kill- Freeze up that chatter! nervously interrupted the crusher. If I croaked him, so what? When we get this soup flavored up, there'll be plenty of guys that'll join him. He gurgled a half laugh and continued. That's what soldiers is for, ain't they? To die. This is it, announced Crusher, as he swung back the oversized lid of one of the giant pots and played the rays of his pencil flash on the gray-brown, thickish liquid within. Soup, says the Baron, he chuckled. And soup it is. He unscrewed the cap from a small bottle, held it over the kettle, but hesitated. As though pronouncing a benediction, he leered, As the executioner says to the guy in the hot seat when he throws the switch, pardon me for going through you. Like a horizontal meteor, Captain America was upon him. The bottle with its death-dealing fluid slithered harmlessly to the far end of the great room. With an ugly, guttural oath, the crusher recovered from his surprise and stealthily circled in on the captain. His short but immensely broad, thick bill did not belie his nickname. He made a quick dive at the soldier, but his powerful arms closed around thin air. 
The lithe, much faster man had easily eluded the clumsy lunge. In passing, the captain laid one on the button of the gangster that should have felled an ox. But Crusher only stood there, shaking his head and swinging his long, flail-like arms like a cornered, standing grizzly. A shrill yell from Bucky, who must have followed his pal, warned Captain America just in time. He whirled, dodging as an evil-looking dirk whistled past him, its flight wind plainly audible to his super-sensitive ears. This one split second off guard was exactly what the gorilla had been hoping for. Captain America felt himself crushed in a vice-like grip. The crusher bent him backward, backward, fiendishly grinning into his pain-racked face all the while. The soldier's breath was cut off. His lungs were bulging as though to explode. The blood pounding in his ears sounded like pistol shots. Tighter and tighter did the crusher's embrace become. In desperation, the captain summoned all his pent-up breath into one blast and blew it smack into the gangster's eyes. Rasping out an oath of surprise, Crusher slackened his hold the tiniest bit. Collecting all his strength for one last-ditch effort, Captain America brought up his right knee sharply and broke away from the death hold. After that, things happened with lightning rapidity. Slinky had a blackjack poised over the captain's head when Bucky jumped right into the crook's face from off a tabletop. Both went down in a heap of thrashing arms and legs, enlivened by some choice cussing on Slinky's part. Captain America landed two long-shot punches on the Crusher's jaw, and a third, smack on the button, sent that worthy representative of the underworld into dreamland. Really fighting mad by now, the captain hit Slinky one that nearly tore the lone-eyed Burns' head off. Soldiers swept pell-mell into the cookhouse. One thought he saw the mythical suit of Captain America disappearing through a window, but his buddies advised him to change the brand. Next morning, the papers carried one headline. Saboteurs tried to poison entire army post. The whole post was standing at attention. The colonel was telling of the near crime of the previous night, for the sentry had not been killed, merely severely stunned. A confession had been forced from one of the two killers, and the entire gang was now under lock and key. And to think... That is to the matchless bravery of Captain America that we owe our lives. And who is this unknown hero? Who knows? He may be right here among us. The colonel looked sharply at Private Rogers. He could have sworn that he had seen the soldier wink at little Bucky. And again, that was Tom Taylor from Indiana Jones Minute uh, lending his his voice to to read that story uh, for us. So thank you, Tom. Yeah, totally. Thank you, Tom, and excellent job. Thank you. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I knew he would have the perfect, you know, voice to to nail that old timey adventure serial type type uh, performance. So, yeah. so that was Captain America number one. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, one one little thing I found out, you know, about well, you know, in, in our research for this was that Captain America number one ended up selling about a million copies, and it was it was basically a complete sellout. So it was definitely a hit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they had something on their hands there. But you know, um, I, this was in Simon's book, and I found this really fascinating. Is uh, Obviously, they stayed on Captain America for a long time, but they were supposed to get uh, royalties for, um, for the book. But hmm. apparently, uh, Goodman did some of those um, Hollywood accounting type things where <laughs> sure. The book never made a profit type thing. <laughs> ah, even, yes. Even though it sold out and it was it was a, you know, a bestseller cuz apparently what he did was he ran all of Timely's expenses through the Captain America comic. So, um Okay. Yeah. Huh. Like so it was just like everything that they did was 
basically oh, based on sure. the Captain America budget. So they're like, well, we never turned a profit, so we can't pay you. And that's. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so apparently that was a factor when they when they decided to leave timely. That was one of the reasons why. And it that seems to be a reoccurring thing that that I see throughout, you know, our research that we've done is, you know, these these creators kind of get screwed over a little bit when the money aspect and they, they, and they say they, they finally have enough and they, they try, yeah. they try their hand elsewhere. And, and Simon and Kirby, unfortunately were no different. Um, but I guess honestly though, you know, I say, you know, I say that's Captain America number one, but there's, we didn't do everything. So we got more, more to do. That's right. I mean, it, we, we certainly talked about the origin of a hero, but uh, every, every hero needs, needs something, a villain. Yeah, so you're only as good as your villains. That's right. Yeah, so our next episode, we are going to be looking at the... We're going to stay in this comic, uh, but we'll be, we'll be talking about the fourth story in this book, the case number four, uh, the Captain America and the Riddle of the Red Skull. But then we'll also be following the Red Skull in his... Uh, in, in a couple more appearances in Captain America Comics number three, and I believe in that issue, it's the first story. Correct. So case case number one, or story number one. And then we'll jump to Captain America Comics number seven, and over there, is it the... It's also case number one, I believe. Case number one, yeah. okay. So, so we go from the fourth stringer to first stringer this time you know as as he goes on they yeah <laughs> they they knew they had yeah. uh, a worthy adversary for captain america or at least that's yeah. what, that's what we're gonna yeah. find out aren't we <laughs> i mean i hope so so yeah next episode it'll, it'll be a, a a villain episode it'll be a red skull centric episode so should be fun and uh, i'm excited to you know we've we'll We'll have a villain to, to talk about. Yeah. So Marvel Events timeline turns to the dark side. <laughs> That's right. All right, Terrifus. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So um, what do you say we, we move on to that next episode and, and see everybody next time? What do you, you know, do you want to? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Between now and then, you can find us on our Facebook group, the Marvel Events timeline, uh, Baxter Building Break Room. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for this one. So. I've been Travis. And I'm Brian Lockhart. Come back next time for the continuing journey with Travis and Brian. Until then, join the conversation over at facebook.com slash groups slash Marvel Events Timeline. On Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Events Pod, or email the show at marveleventspod at gmail.com.